Lord Jesus, you are high and lifted up. You are exalted at the right hand of God the Father in that place called heaven above. And Lord, we love you. We praise you. We adore you. And Lord, we're drawing near to you, Lord. So Father, draw near to us and pour out your Holy Spirit. Lord, we, we pray for an, a, a, an anointing, a, a, an outpouring of your Holy Spirit through the worship, through the word, through the fellowship, through encouragement. Lord, we've gathered for you today, not, not for anything else but you. So Lord, please bless this time with your presence. In Jesus' mighty name I pray. And if you agree with that prayer, please say amen. Amen, amen. You may have a seat. Y'all ready to get into the word? Let's do it. Let's turn, please turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 22. This morning we're looking at Matthew chapter 22, verses 20, chapter 22, verse 23 through chapter 23, verse 12. So uh, let's read the first part of our text this morning and see where the word of God has taken us this morning. Matthew chapter 22, verse 23 says, On that day, some Sadducees who say there is no resurrection came to Jesus and questioned him, asking, Teacher, Moses said, If a man dies having no children, his, his brother as next of kin shall marry his wife and raise up children for his brother. Now there were seven brothers with us. The first married and died having no children, left his wife to his brother. So also the second and the third down to the seventh. Last of all, the women died. The woman died, excuse me. In the resurrection... Therefore, whose wife of the seven will she be? For they all had married her. But Jesus answered and said to them, You are mistaken, not understanding the scriptures nor the power of God. For in the resurrection they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but like angels in heaven. But regarding the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what was spoken to you by God? I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. Lord, we thank you for your word this morning. And as we study it, Father, speak to our hearts. Holy Spirit, help us to understand what is written in the word. Lord, quiet our hearts. Focus our hearts. And let's look at this beautiful text that warns us to not be like the Pharisees. In Jesus' awesome and powerful name I pray, amen. Amen. The title of my teaching this morning is Don't Be a Pharisee. And this is going to be a part one of a two-week message. So part one today is uh, Don't Be a Pharisee, part one. Next week will be Don't Be a Pharisee, part two. And if you think today's tough, it's kind of medium. But next week, Jesus is going to lay the wood. He's going to lay the wood on these Pharisees. So we're looking at two, two weeks, we're looking at how to not be a Pharisee, how to not be religious, but to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, and with all of our strength, and how to live out the authentic Christian life, okay? One of the greatest dangers in, in the world of faith is to think just because someone is religious that they are saved and in a right relationship with God, and that is not the case. 
Biblical Christianity is not a religion. It is being born again by receiving Jesus as your Lord and Savior. It is turning from sin and experiencing the grace of God and mercy and being filled with the Holy Spirit that empowers you to live for Christ. Have you done that? Have you turned from your sin? Have you put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ? Has the Holy Spirit come into your life? And is he changing you? I'm not asking you, are you perfect? Because nobody's perfect. You're not perfect. I'm not perfect. The mailman's not perfect. But the Holy Spirit works in the believer. The Holy Spirit gives you this deep passion to serve Christ. It gives you this deep passion to be in the word. That's what Christianity is about. It's not about this outward appearance as we're going to see this morning. This morning we're introduced to two sects of Judaism, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. I'll explain both. Jesus is going to drop the hammer on them for their false belief, for their hypocrisy, and for their abuse of authority. This passage is a warning for us today, though. It's a warning to anyone who would twist Scripture for their own carnal desires or to outright ignore sound biblical doctrine. To change the word of God is dangerous. If you change God's word, Jesus' judgment will come to you. We don't change the word, we preach the word. We don't change the word, we hold to it, and we love it, and we cherish it. And this is what's feeding us this morning in our verse-by-verse study of the text, is that we take it to heart. Let the word of God sink deep into our hearts this morning the same way it sank deep into my heart this week as your pastor was studying all week on this text so let's dive into it matthew chapter 22 starting with verse 23 where we left off last week it says on that day some sadducees who say there is no resurrection came to jesus and questioned him so first we have i said don't be a pharisee but in this text he starts with the pharisees and seven or eight verses into this text he's going to move to the pharisees but first off who are the sadducees the sadducees were a jewish sect of judaism they're mentioned 14 times in the new testament they denied the resurrection they denied uh, eternal judgment they denied uh, life after death they, and they denied the supernatural they claimed a belief in god but they denied the word of God. In Matthew chapter 3, verse 7, John the Baptist calls them a brood of vipers. Jesus is going to call them the same thing next week. In Acts chapter 4, they had the disciples imprisoned for teaching the resurrection. They did not like this resurrection thing. The Sadducees were the ancient version back then of the liberal compromising church today. And I'm going to let the text speak for itself. But Jesus had nothing good to say about them. Verse 24. Let's get, get into their question. Asking, the Sadducees are asking this question, verse 24. Teacher, Moses said, if a man dies having no children, his brother as next of kin shall marry his wife and raise up children for his brother. You've got to know some Old Testament here, okay? This question that they're asking Jesus is based on the law of Leverite marriage. It's found in Deuteronomy chapter 25, okay? It was a provision God made for widows to be taken care of by their brothers of the deceased husband. That's what this law was that they're referring to because the uh, Sadducees claimed a belief in the Torah. 
the first five books of the Bible, but they didn't believe the rest of the books were authoritative. Verse 25, he says, Now there were seven brothers with us, and the first married and died, and having no children left his wife to his brother. So also the second and the third down to the seventh. Last of all, the woman died. Verse Verse 28, In the resurrection, therefore, whose wife of the seven will she be? For they all married her. Now, I don't know about you, but if I was Jesus, and these guys asked me this question, I would be like, you need to call the sheriff's department. Because <laughs> something's going on here. For, for, for a woman, for, 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 them to, for her to go through so many husbands, something's not right. So I say that to say that Jesus is, uh, uh, the, 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 the Sadducees are proposing a hypothetical question. And all they're trying to do is trip Jesus up. But so they ask this question about who's, 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 uh, whose wife will she be? Look at verse 29. But Jesus answered and said to them, You are mistaken, not understanding the scriptures nor the power of God. Now I want to stop right there in verse 29. Because I believe here in verse 29 is Jesus is going to correct these Sadducees. He is pointing out to us in this verse that we're looking at, this is the root of all heresy. This is the root of all heresy. People not knowing the word of God or the power of God. And the power of God being the working of the Holy Spirit. Okay? That's what you need to grow. That's what you need as your foundation. Is you need to understand the word of God. That's why we study it. And you need the power of the Holy Spirit operating in your life. The Sadducees did not know the word of God. I'm going to drive this point, point home in the next verse. But uh, the key to knowing God is to know his word, okay? God and his word are inseparable. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 says, All scripture is inspired by God. It's theonostos. It's breathed out. And in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 15 through 18, uh, Paul, uh, Paul says to Timothy, that from childhood you have known the sacred writings, which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. Why do we need the word of God? Because it leads us to Jesus. It takes us to the author and perfecter of our faith. It's what we build our life on. We build our relationship with Christ based around the word of God. God's word teaches us truth and in the situation of the Sadducees, it, 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 it guards us from false teaching. When you know the word and you hear something that's unbiblical, you'll be like, uh-uh, that's not what the Bible says. That's not what the word says. It's good. You need to have a spirit of discernment. But that gift of discernment that is, that is a gift of the Holy Spirit comes with understanding the word of God. And they did not understand the word of God. Secondly, Looking at verse 29, it says, not understanding the scriptures, but Jesus also says there, nor the power of God. The second thing you need when it comes to the power of God is you need divine illumination. Each and every one of us in here, 
as you study the word of God, you need divine illumination. Pastor David, what is divine illumination? It is a ministry of the Holy Spirit operating on the inside of you where he opens your heart, he opens your mind, and you can understand the clear meaning of the text. He brings it to life. I heard one preacher call it the rhema, the, the, the pages of scripture. It comes to life and it, it fills your heart. It fills you with joy. It fills you with faith because you're understanding it, okay? That is a ministry of the Holy Spirit. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 17 and 18, the Apostle, talk, Apostle Paul talks about this. He says that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. Knowing the scripture and asking, please, please, please do this. Next time you go to open your Bible, before you open your Bible, say a prayer. Say a prayer. Bow your head, bow your heart, and say, Holy Spirit, please help me understand what I'm about to read. And don't rush through it. Don't rush through the word. You know, by the time I've preached a, a sermon on Sunday, I've read through the text between 20 and 30 times throughout the week, just studying it, meditating on it. And as I meditate on it and I think on it, the Holy Spirit brings more of it to life and gives me a, a sermon to preach as I meditate on the word. We have to know the scriptures and we have to know the power of the Holy Spirit. That is where the Sadducees went wrong. Now look at verse 30. He says, for in the resurrection, this is Jesus' response, He's going to answer their question. For in the resurrection, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like the angels in heaven. Now, some married people are bothered by this verse. What? I'm not going to have my wife in heaven. I'm not going to have my, the one I love for the rest of, you know, we're married in this life. Why won't we be married in heaven? And this, that bothers some people. Some married couples find it a relief, okay? So you're in one of the two categories, but I want to explain this verse. Whether, whatever how you, ever how you uh, interpret this verse or understand it, whether it bothers you or brings you relief. One reason a man pursues a wife and a woman pursues a husband in this life is because it fills a void in a desire in their heart. Y'all know that feeling before you get married. I want to be married. I want to I be joined to this person because there's this longing and this void on the inside that says, I want to be with them. Well, check this out. In heaven, that void and that desire will not be there. You will be filled and complete in God's perfect presence. That's how beautiful and how glorious heaven is going to be. Okay, you'll know your spouse. You'll, you'll know each other. We'll all know each other in heaven. But that longing in our heart, the longing for relationship, it will all be filled by the glory of God in heaven. Does that help you out if you struggle with this whole not being married in heaven thing? 
I hope so. Uh, let's continue in, in, our, in our study here. Verse 31, he says, But regarding the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what was spoken to you by God? I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. Now what Jesus is doing here, he's poking. He's poking at the Sadducees. They claimed, you can look this up, the Sadducees claimed to believe in the Torah. So what does Jesus do? He quotes the Torah. He quotes Exodus chapter 3, verse 6. And what he's doing here in this verse is he's showing that their faith did not align with the scriptures that they claimed to believe in. The Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection. They were sad, you see. Jesus' point here is there will be a resurrection. That's hard for us to think about. You know, we think about life and one day I'm going to die and we all have this fear that one day death is going to come and, and your body is going to sit in the, in the ground. But friends and family, that is not the case. There is coming a day in the future eternity where there will be a resurrection, okay? Jesus has saved our souls for now. He's washed us by the blood of Christ. He's filled us with the Holy Spirit. We are living this life. But one day in the future, he is going to redeem your physical body, okay? You're going to have a brand new body. And this body is going to be free of disease. It's going to be free of sickness. It's going to be free of sin. It's going to be just like Jesus' body after he rose from the grave. Remember how he just, he just went through the door? And he just appeared to the disciples? Just pew, pew, pew. It's going to be this supernatural body. Jesus said to uh, Mar Martha in John eleven twenty five, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. The resurrection is um, sometimes can be hard to get our minds wrapped around, but it is a biblical truth. And God's word will come to pass. This, the best is yet to come because heaven is ahead. The, the, this is, this is, actually, this is going to be the worst it gets here on planet Earth. Now, some of you are living a good life. Some of you are living a difficult life. But I can say this, the best is yet to come. Bright days are ahead when Christ returns in all his glory. Let's continue. Verse 33. When the crowds heard this, they were astonished at his teachings. But when the Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered themselves together. Now we get to the Pharisees, which we'll spend a lot of time the rest of my teaching this morning and next week on the Pharisees. Who are the Pharisees? It says, when the Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered themselves together. So they're, they're over there like, well, man, he knocked out the Sadducees. He just completely annihilated them. So let's gather together and let's, let's come up with our game plan, how we're going to come against Jesus. The Pharisees were a Jewish sect of Judaism, more aligned with Scripture than the Sadducees. Their problem was that they were very legalistic. They taught righteousness came through a strict observance of the law. There was no grace, no mercy. They were greedy, hypocritical, according to the text, and they showed no compassion to the sinners. That's who the Pharisees were. Let's look at what takes place between him and Jesus, them and Jesus. Verse 35, one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him. Teacher, which is the great commandment? 
which is the great commandment in the law. And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depends the whole law and the prophet. Verse 38 and 39. If you notice these banners in the sanctuary, why do we put these banners up in the sanctuary? We put them up so that when you come to Calvary Chapel Irmo, you don't think about Calvary Chapel Irmo. So that when you come here, you don't think about Pastor David. We want everyone surrounded in an atmosphere of faith. We want you to be reminded of the word of God. We want you to be blessed by the Holy Spirit. And this one right here is found right here. Matthew chapter 22, verses 37 through 40. And this is one of our um, mottos here, is to love God and love people. That's what we want to teach you how to do here. We want to teach you how to love God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, all your strength. That's what we're about teaching people to do. And when you love God, you will obey God. You will follow God. You will live for God. And then after we teach you how to love God, then we want to teach you how to love people. We want to teach you how to love. Matter of fact, there's, there's two banners in here that, that's in my teaching this morning. If you look around enough, you'll see the other one. It's coming up in the next chapter. But that's what we want to teach people, how to love God and how to love people. Here, this banner right here, based on the text that we're studying this morning, Jesus lays out the foundation of the Christian life. It is a love for God that surpasses all, even our own family. And after our love for him, we love everyone else. And how do you love God? There's, there's an emotion there's a heartfelt connection with God. You know, I don't, we, we have that and we want that and we want to keep that. But also how you love God is by obeying God. You show your love by your obedience and your allegiance to him. And then how do we serve people? What's the key to serving people? By putting Jesus on a platter and serving them Christ. Serving them the word of God. Coming alongside a brother or sister and helping them becoming a more devoted follower of Christ. That's how we love God, and that's how we love people. And we will teach, we, and that's what we're all about, is lifting him up and helping others follow him. Verse 41, now while the Pharisees were gathering, gathered together, Jesus asked them a question. What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? They said to him, the son of David. He said to them, then how does David in the spirit call him Lord? Saying, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies beneath your feet. If David then calls him Lord, how is he his son? Here, Jesus is doing the exact same thing that he just did with the Sadducees. He's doing it with the Pharisees now. He's pointing out to the Pharisees that they don't know their Bible. They don't know their Bible. Jesus is telling them, go back and read what David wrote. Not only is the Messiah David's son, but he's also David's Lord. So Jesus was not only a descendant of David naturally, but he was also God from heaven. We call that the hypostatic union. Jesus Christ was 100% God, 100% man, you find that difficult to understand? Welcome to the club. We're talking about God here. But that's the truth of who he is. And here, 
he's, Jesus is pointing out that they need to understand the scriptures. You know, we don't throw out the Old Testament. The Old Testament is the foundation of the New Testament. You know, without the Old Testament, uh, or the, the, without the Old Testament, it would be very difficult to understand many parts of the New Testament. You have to bring them together. The Old Testament looked forward to Jesus. The New Testament looks back at the fulfillment of Jesus. They go beautifully together, and they need to understand that. Now, let's get verse 46. No one was able to answer him a word, nor did anyone dare from that day on to ask him another question. In other words, they gave up. They gave up. The Pharisees and the Sadducees, remember who they are, first century. These are the leaders of the religious world. They just said, I can't do it. I give up. I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't argue. I can't debate with Jesus. Why? Because he's God. <laughs> he has all knowledge. He has all understanding. You will lose that battle. You know, if there's something in Scripture you don't agree with and you go to argue with God, well, guess who's going to win the battle? Guess who's going to lose the battle? God's going to win the battle. Because God always tells the truth. Let's continue. Chapter 23, verse 1. Then Jesus spoke to the crowds and to the disciples, saying, The scribes and the Pharisees have seated themselves in the chair of Moses. So, question is, what is this chair of Moses? Um, chapter, two, uh, chapter 23, verse 2 says, uh, The scribes and the Pharisees have seated themselves in the chair of Moses. What is the chair of Moses? The chair of Moses was a place of authority. It was a place of power. It was a place of control. The Pharisees wanted to rule over the people and be in charge like a corporate exec or, or, a, or a CEO today. They thought they, they had that mentality over the people. Friends, that is not Christian leadership, okay? That is not Christian leadership. Christian leaders are to be servants to the body of Christ. The word pastor comes from the Latin word shepherd. Our job is not to control people. Our job is to simply shepherd, teach the word, guard the body, and call people to repentance and faith in Christ. That is our job. I have no authority over your life. I have no authority over your family. That's God, husband, and wife. That's family. My job as a shepherd is just to guard the sheep, feed the sheep, and protect the sheep in the Lord and teach them the word of God. Verse 3. Therefore, all that they tell you do and observe, but do according to their deeds, for they say things and do not do them. The Pharisees were hypocrites. They would say one thing and they would do another. True godly leaders practice what they preach. They lead by example. And when they mess up, and they will, they admit it. That's part of being a godly example, is when you mess up, you confess it. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12 says, Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech and conduct and love and faith and purity. So we are called to be examples of it in our speech, the way we talk, the way we interact with people, in our conduct as Christian leaders. We should set the example for godly living. 
We are to be the example, according to 1 Timothy 4.12, we are to be an example of love. We love all people. We care for all people. We're to be an example in faith. You know, we're to be an example of showing people how to live a godly life. And then the final word in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12, is purity. We are called to be holy. And we are called to live examples. Not so that you can look at me and say, wow, look at how holy he is. No, it's not, it's not about that. It's about being an example that draws people to Christ. That, 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 that says, this is what Jesus looks like. He sets us free from the dominion of sin and darkness. And people see that and they're like, wow, I want to be like him. I want to follow that same Jesus. Verse 4. It says, they tie up heavy burdens and lay on them men's shoulders, and they themselves are unwilling to move them with so much as a finger. Again, Pharisees have this CEO mentality. They sit back and they do nothing, and they put all the work on other people. Not so with godly leaders. Not so with godly leaders. They get their hands dirty from discipling a new believer to scrubbing toilets. Christian leaders are available, and, and, and they don't doesn't matter what they do they serve anywhere from teaching to cleaning to any ministry that's needed in the church whatever the body needs uh, a leader will give themselves to serve in that ministry every ministry is equally important here at calvary chapel irmo everything from cleaning to teaching to playing drums to teaching our children it's all important. We want to do it all with excellence for the glory of God. Verse 5 says, But they do all the deeds to be noticed by men, for they broaden their phylacteries and lengthen the tassels of their garments. Pharisees were obsessed with um, physical appearance. Okay? All they cared about was how they were viewed by the people. The phylacteries were leather boxes strapped to their left arm into uh, their forehead, and inside those boxes they had scripture. It's based on Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 8, which says, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontals on your forehead. But in Deuteronomy chapter 11, verse 18, God further defines this ministry that he told the ancient Israelites when he says, uh, God's word shall be in your heart and govern everything you put your hands to. That was the purpose. But around the 4th century B.C., uh, the Pharisees and the religious leaders of Jerusalem started taking this passage from its true meaning and putting these boxes on their forehead and on their arms. They turned it into a ritual to show off, to make people think that they were holier than thou. You know, kind of walking in with their priestly robe and their garments and their high hats and all the people are like, ooh, there's a holy man. Please don't, that, don't ever do that with me. I'm just Pastor David. I'm just one beggar preaching to a bunch of other beggars. One servant talking to a bunch of other servants. One Christian encouraging other Christians. Man today will, tries to impress God with his dress and outer appearance. Newsflash. God is not impressed with your outer appearance. He is looking at your heart. God is looking at the inside. Where is your heart this morning? 
Everybody take inventory right now. Not to the person to your left or to your right. You take inventory of your heart. Where is your heart? Do you love Christ? Do you desire to obey Christ? Do you desire to follow him? Do you desire to do what his word says? You know, if we're honest, I hope and pray that many of us are like, yes, yes, yes. But maybe you're here and you're like, yes, no, no, yes. There's a couple no's in there. Or maybe, I'm not sure yet. I'm not sure yet. You know what? Bring it to God. Say, Lord, help me to understand who you are. And Lord, help me, God, help me to want to love you. Help me to want to obey you. Help me to want to follow you. And let the Holy Spirit work in your life, work in your heart, and draw you close. And then all of a sudden you wake up the next day and you're like, you know what? I think I want to read my Bible today. (laughs) Hey, you know what? I think I want to go to church Sunday or Wednesday or whenever. Hey, you know what? I think think it's, it's time for me to start exercising some Christian disciplines. The Bible is a faith of a mustard seed. God will take it, and he will water it, and he will grow it, and he will cause you to grow in Christ. I remember when I first came to Christ in 92, I did not have it all together. There was so many areas of my life that were disarray. But through that mustard seed of faith of wanting to take the next step, wanting to be discipled, wanting to grow, God has grown me to where I am today. And he can grow you too in your love, in your obedience, and in your faith. That's what our God does. He specializes in that. You know, um, the outer appearance, you know, at Calvary Chapel Irmo, our only policy is you got to wear some clothing. Okay? You got to wear some clothing. (laughs) You know, shorts, T-shirt, blue jeans, You know, come casual, come comfortable, wear some clothing and come on in and join us. Verse 6. They love the place of, okay, talking about the Pharisees still. They love the place of honor at banquet and the chief seats in the synagogue. Verse 7. And respectful greetings in the marketplace and, and being called rabbi by men. The Pharisees wanted their name known. The Pharisees wanted their name exalted. They loved titles. And they loved being exalted by others. Not so as a Christian. That is not our heart. Okay? We don't care if you know our name. We want you to know Jesus' name. And we want you to fall in love with him. We want Christ's name to be exalted. That's what we want. When you leave here, I want you to think, man, God is so good. Jesus is so amazing. He's so powerful. I've experienced his grace. I've experienced his mercy. I don't want you going to think, wow, that was a, talking about the pastor shirt or, or what the pastor said or, 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 or this or that. I want, you to talk, I want you to leave here thinking about how good God is. Not about our name, about Jesus' name. Verse 8. eight we'll do read 8 through 10. There's, there's a verb that's used in all three of these verses. This is important. But do not be called rabbi. For one is your teacher, and you are all brothers. Do not call anyone 
on earth your father, for one is your father, he who is in heaven. And here it is, do not be called leaders, for one is your leader, and that is Christ. So the key word there in verses 8 through 9 is this word called. You see, do you see what Jesus is saying here in verses 8 through 10? What he's doing here in these verses is he's striking down the pride of man, okay? It's not about you. It's not about me. It's about the Lord Jesus Christ. It's, it's, we have one leader, and his office is in heaven, and he's seated at the right hand of God the Father. His name is the Lord Jesus Christ. He is our leader. You know, we, I have an f- earthly father. You have an earthly father. We can call him dad. We can call him father. But we all, we all ultimately have one supreme father, one supreme uh, rabbi, one supreme leader. And that leader and Lord and teacher is the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 11, he says, But the greatest among you shall be your servant. And that's this banner right over here. This banner over here says, Saved people serve people. You want to be great in the kingdom? First off, get saved. And secondly, serve other people. Find somebody in need. Find somebody in help that needs help. Preferably somebody that wants to follow Christ. Somebody that you can encourage spiritually. Christians are servants. And Jesus is our Lord. And we serve him and the body. And that, my friend, is greatness. It's about being a servant. From the pulpit to the cleaning to Sunday school to children's ministry to all of it. It's about coming together and being a servant to God and a servant to the body of Christ. That is what it is all about. What are you doing with the body of, in the body of Christ? How are you serving? How are you feeling led to be served? Pray about it. Say, Lord, please put on my heart how you want me to serve in the local body, in the community, and even in your family, okay? You say, well, Pastor David, I'm not sure what my gifts and my callings are. Ask a close brother or sister in Christ. A lot of times, our close Christian brothers and sisters in Christ will see the gift in us before we see it in ourselves. But find your place and serve. Let's look at the final verse this morning. Verse 12. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself shall be exalted. To exalt yourself means you think you are better than everyone else. It means you, th- you think you are more deserving. It, it, it think, you think that you want to be seen. You, you want to be seen by others in a, as a place of prominence above other people. Okay, That's what it means to exalt yourself. That's what we don't want to do. That's what we don't want. We want to humble ourselves. To humble yourself means you live in surrender and submission to Christ and his word. He is the master and you are the servant. We humble ourselves under God's mighty right hand at salvation and surrender our lives to him. And then we humble ourselves in service to our family, to our community, and to the body of Christ. We are all called to serve. So the thesis of this passage this morning, part one of Don't Be a Pharisee, 
is don't be a Pharisee. Don't be a Pharisee. Don't be focused on all the outward and the religious piety, but be focused on what's important, which is love, obedience, and serving Christ and loving him. Don't be a Pharisee. Repent of pride and walk in humility. Number one, repent of pride and walk in humility. And say, Lord, I'll serve you wherever you call me. Whatever you, whatever you ask me to do, I'll do it. Secondly, don't be a Pharisee. Study and believe all of God's word. It's all profitable. That's what the Sadducees did. They didn't know the word, and the Pharisees didn't either. And so when, when we say don't be a Pharisee, study and believe everything that is written in God's word. Thirdly, this is a big one. We all resonate. Everybody's going to say, amen. Practice what you preach. Practice what you preach. If you call yourself a Christian, live like a Christian. If you call yourself a believer in Christ, then live it out. Live it out. Not telling you to work it out and get into your own works, but yield yourself to the Holy Spirit. They say, Holy Spirit, please produce fruit in my life. I surrender to you, and Lord, help me to live out what I believe. And by doing that, you won't be like the Pharisees. Number four, and I got five of them. Love God and love people. Love God and love people. We, we, we love God with all our heart, all our soul, all our strength, and then we love people. And finally, walk in grace. Walk in grace, walk in truth, and walk in love. Because that was one thing that the Pharisees did not do. Amen? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, for this study in Matthew. And Lord, help us all here this morning to apply this word to our lives. Help us to walk in grace. Help us to walk in truth. Help us to walk in love. Help us to not be like the Pharisees, but, but walk in the Spirit. Live by the Holy Spirit. Let your fruit be manifested in our lives as we live, you, live for you and serve you with all of our hearts. Open our hearts to this truth this morning and seal this work in our hearts. For it's in Jesus' awesome name I pray.